This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the CMO Spotlight. With insight from top executives on how to address the key challenges facing the business world and the marketing industry. Here are your hosts, Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. Welcome to the show. This is Catherine Hayes. I'm your co-host today on CMO Spotlight. And with me is Jenny Rooney, who is the Forbes CMO Network Editor. Hey, Jenny. How are you? Great. Um, We just wanted to welcome you to this show today. It's always special, but today is particularly special because we have some really interesting chief marketing officers, as always. So we have... um, there's sort of maybe five or five or so different things we want to try to really get into today. Um, certainly, what are some of the challenges that they're facing? Talk about leadership. Talk about the key collaborations that they have uh, that are important as never before in the marketing world. Um, and uh, particularly for your listeners, you know, our listeners, we want you to be able to get some of their lessons learned, right, Jenny? Yeah, just great takeaways, right? You know, and for then what everybody. you know, and also I think it's fun to talk about what makes them especially pleased and proud in the work that they're doing. So we want to yeah. get into some of that. All right. Well, we want to welcome first um, Kirsten Lynch. She's the EVP and CMO of Vale Resorts, and she has been there since um, 2011 and has a very deep, uh, as Jenny reminds me, a deep CPG background. She was at Pepsi, uh, running Quaker Foods there. She was at Kraft with our, and at one point responsible for our favorite mac and cheese, um, and then started her career at Forbes. So with that, welcome to the show, Kirsten. Happy to have you. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jenny. Thanks Hi. for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and start with Vale Resorts. If you could just give us uh, the elevator pitch, uh, a little bit about the, the company. On this yep. hot on this hot August right, day, exactly. we want Let's to talk, talk about, about snow. <laughs> Good. Well, we are a ski resort company. We currently have 17 different, sorry, 20 different ski resorts in our portfolio and 17 more that we just announced that we are in the process of uh, acquiring. But when you think of Vail Resorts, you think of Vail Mountain, obviously, but we have some of the most premier destination ski resorts in the world, including Vail, Beaver Creek, Breckenridge, Park City, Whistler, Blackcomb. And then we also have some smaller ski areas near major metropolitan markets that really connect and introduce skiing to the next generation of skiers and snowboarders by letting them ski at their local ski area and connecting them to our big destination ski areas. So it's it's quite a uh, passionate business from a consumer perspective that our consumers, which we call guests, uh, are really passionate about the outdoors and taking a vacation and have a real affinity to our ski resorts. So it's a lot of fun. I, it sounds like a lot of fun. I got to ask you just very, very sort of macro, like stepping back a, a minute. Where does, you know, skiing, uh, ski vacations, snowboarding, I mean, we're living in this time, especially with the rise of Gen Z and, you know, so much about tech and, and, and experiences has yeah. taken on such a different definition these days and like where people want to spend their time, what they want to engage with, you know, what they want to be doing, right? What they want to spend their money on. Broadly speaking, you know, how does skiing fit how does in? skiing fit in these yeah. days? Yeah, I think it's a perfect fit because it's all about unique experiences versus 
buying things, right? Sure. We don't actually make anything. We don't manufacture anything. We create experiences. And our whole business is predicated on creating those unique experiences at our resorts. So I think it's a great fit for that gener- generation and what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to just clarify, too, when you said premier resorts, as a born and raised Vermonter, I did want to <laughs> mention that you do have Stowe as we one of do. your properties. So. <laughs> it is a wonderful <laughs> resort. And um, do you both ski? Oh yes! Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. No, I say that with a little bit of uh, my. If my husband, my husband, I'm sure is 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 listening, and and he would beg to differ, but um, I, I try to ski. Yes. So. Well, and she has a big smile on her face, so that's what it's all about, especially when exactly. you talk about experiences, right, Kirsten? Exactly. It's a very it's very um, emotional and connects to a real passion. Well, let's from a business perspective, let's get back to the the sort of big news that you had. It's it's just been a month that you're almost doubling in size from 20 properties, adding 17. So talk to us a little bit about that. What's that journey been like? M&A is always challenging. So listen to you giggle. Yeah, it's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yes. Um, So maybe some of the just the key challenges and the key sort of lessons and maybe points of pride in in getting to this point and, and, and your challenges ahead. Yeah, I think the key with the increase in the number of resorts for us is that it's not just about expansion and acquiring trophy assets. We have a very strategic approach to M&A that is all about building our network. And in this case, these 17 resorts that, and by the way, the deal has not closed yet. Uh, but we thank anticipate, you. We anticipate okay. it closing this fall. The uh, real strategy behind it is building the network. When sometimes it's funny when people think of Vail Resorts, they think of all these, you know, very premier resorts like Vail and Whistler Black Home and Breckenridge and Park City. But a lot of these resorts are smaller ski areas located in the Northeast and the Midwest and the Mid Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's very deliberate on our part to connect these local ski areas to major metropolitan areas where the population density exists so that we can really create the network for local skiing and connecting that to the big destinations on our season pass. And and I, this is how I grew up. I'm a, I'm a total city kid. I grew up in downtown Chicago mm-hmm. skiing Wilmont, a small ski area outside of Chicago, but then on the weekends. But then when mm-hmm. we took our holiday trip, we would go to Breckenridge. And that's really the network we're trying to create to grow our business. So we talk a lot about how CMOs, you know, have seat at the table. They obviously are in boardroom conversations. You know, yes. they're, they're participating. How much um, involvement did you personally as CMO have in – how much do you have – involvement you have in the acquisition decisions and and sort of some of these strategic yeah Yeah, a lot of involvement because my responsibility and the marketing organization's responsibility is to drive revenue and growth for this company and Mm -hmm. my personal philosophy as a cmo is that is my primary responsibility and my team's responsibility so a lot of the discussions we're having on m a are you know what are the right network opportunities? What are the right acquisitions that we think are going to unlock the most growth for our company? And so, I'm absolutely a part of all those strategic conversations. What kind of data and research and do you need to bring and do and bring and you know uh, sort of and how are you spending your time to make sure that those decisions are obviously in line with you know business growth? Yeah, we have a ton of data, actually, Um, just in general, Jenny and Catherine, even though our business is very driven by emotion and passion in the background, everything and every decision we're making is driven by data. 
We have an enormous database. We know where people skied, when they skied, how often they skied, what lifts they skied. Uh, we know all the transactions they've made. And because we have a vertically integrated business, mm -hmm. we actually touch almost every aspect of the experience. So we can also see what they did in terms of rentals and transportation and um, F&B, as well as um, ski school. So we have a really holistic view and understanding of our guests, and that can help us understand just from an acquisition perspective, right, where do mm. they live, where do they ski, how often do they ski, where do we think we have the biggest unlocks to mm. uh, get them into a season pass, which is critical strategy for our company. Mm. And the data drives all of that. Mm -hmm. Talk about innovation. Obviously, the um, the explain what the epic the epic pass is. The and the, maybe before, if, yeah. just just to clarify, um, which we usually do up front, is um, all CMOS have different sets of responsibilities these days. Sure. What's what's the scope? What's within your purview, Kirsten? Yeah. So digital reports to me, all of our analytics, all of our pricing decisions, um, all of our resort marketing for each one of our resorts, our season pass, um, sales also reports to me and international also reports to me. So pretty broad. Yeah. Pretty broad. Our e-commerce platform, our Epic Mix app, which tracks your stats and, and accomplishments. And then we have an uh, an artificial intelligence chatbot that you can interact with at our resorts to ask any questions and help our guests with their experience. And the team that manages that also reports up to me. That's a part of the digital team. So with that, back to Jenny's yeah, question. Yeah, innovation. innovation. What does innovation look like yeah. under, under your watch? Yeah. You know, the way we think about innovation is from a guest perspective. You know, what is going to make the experience better for the guest? Um, two examples that I'll give you. One is the Epic Pass. So it used to be that season passes, and you might remember this from when you were a kid, a season yep. pass was really for one, one resort. Place. It was mm -hmm. for locals. You wouldn't dream of buying a season pass unless you were a local. And they were super expensive. About 10 years ago, 11 years ago, we launched Epic Pass which gave access, unlimited, unrestricted access to all of our resorts at an incredible value price point. And actually, um, it's not just for locals. We have uh, almost half of all of our passes are to guests that live in New York and Mexico and Australia and Chicago and L.A. because they see the real value of that. And it makes really our resort experience um, accessible. And then the um, most recent innovation related to Pass is we now have a Pass product that we literally just launched that you can choose the number of days you want. It's called an Epic Day Pass. Choose the days you want, whether or not you want to ski, holidays or no holidays, and you get an incredible discount off of uh, the window tickets that you would pay for. And so that's really almost like a build-your-own pass type of thing. What was the key insight that sort of drove all that, you know, obviously besides the value component, but what, what were people, what was the white space you were hoping to fill with, with, with that sort of offering? Yeah, the, the white consumer? space there is, even though the Epic Pass was so compelling to so many people, we have almost a million pass holders. Wow. The re even though that's so compelling, there's a population of people, and because we have the data, we know this, that just don't ski enough days to justify sure. it. And so how could we create a pass giving people flexibility and value for someone who's a low-frequency skier, right? If you don't some, – some of our guests are skiing two or three days, and we wanted to give them an option versus the people who are skiing eight, nine, ten days a year. 
I'm curious too, back to the just the consumer sort of interest in skiing. Like, who are you competing with most for those same people? Like, where where, where are they also spending their time and, and their dollars um, in well, major vac- activities? Yeah, any vacation. Any right? like anywhere. It doesn't any, matter. Yeah, any vacation that people are taking, and that's why the experience is so critical. Because both of you know that skiing can be challenging. I mean, not just being on the mountain, but bringing your equipment and bringing your kids and getting on an airplane or driving a couple of hours. And so we need to make sure that that experience is unbelievable so that we can bring people back and get the repeat visitation. And ultimately, my goal is to drive revenue. But long term, it's all about loyalty. How is this all aligning with your your personal career background, your previous experience working for CPG and things like that? What what are you pulling from that into this? Mm Because they're vastly different. Yeah, they are very different. (laughs) It was so different. I mean, this is marketing and experience and it's a very high involvement decision. Ski vacations are not inexpensive and there's a lot of uh, dreaming planning that Mm. goes into getting a ski vacation versus a consumer packaged goods decision. I think I'm really fortunate to have a strong CPG background from Kraft and PepsiCo because I think I learned a lot of very analytical business skills in running different brands for those two companies that I can then translate to this business. And if you think about how emotional the decision is about taking a vacation and going to a ski resort, emotional in a positive way, but how do we bring sort of business rigor and analytics and data into the background of how we actually drive the business? And I think my CPG background really helps a lot with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've been that with um, Vail Resorts since 2011, correct? Yes, yes. And, you know, in this day and age, things change so quickly and evolve so quickly. Um, how have you seen um, your business evolve, the, the, the business of experiences um, during that time? I thought you were going to say, how does she buck the trend of the 48-month CMO ten, average CMO tenure? No, no, no. That, that, that will be implied in this conversation. Good point. I might be a unicorn with my uh, eight-year tenor, tenure as CMO. You know, I'll talk a little bit about how marketing has changed over that time period. It's been changed dramatically in terms of uh, using data to understand the guest and predict their behavior and influence their behavior. And when I first came to Vail Resorts, it was a much more traditional Mm. marketing approach to how we drove the business, you know, putting out a message, talking about how great our resorts are. And it's been a cultural as well as a tools and process transformation to take a data-driven approach that we um, have talent that understands how to use the data that we have about our guests, that we know how to actually use that data to predict their behavior and drive an outcome for the business. And every single thing we do, data-driven media, as you guys know, has changed dramatically over the last five Mm -hmm. years. And the ability to -to one-to-one target um, through not just email or direct channels, but even through media. So there's just been a massive transformation in those eight years. And my challenge has been how to keep up with that or even stay out front of it for the company. One of the things that I I think I read about is that you um, have taken advantage of RFID technology. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, We'd love to hear a little bit about um, if you could just explain what it is and then how you've used it in a very 
you know, it makes so much sense, but love to hear about that. Yeah, probably, Catherine, when you were a kid and Jenny, just like me, you had these paper lift tickets and you would collect them on the bottom of your jacket. And I I would have like 10 of them and Uh show them off at school and how cool I was. Well, now (laughs) we actually have RFID chips in every single lift ticket and every single pass. And that really enables us to really understand our guests. So with that, we can understand who you are, where you skied, when you skied, how often you skied. And that helps us make decisions about the on-mountain experience. And it also helps us make decisions about how we market to you. The on-mountain experience is an example we can get a real understanding of, you know, where crowding might be occurring at ah. certain lifts. And then we can put in a new chairlift that is a higher speed or has more seats. Um, we can understand that guests would really like to understand how long the lift lines are at different parts of the mountain. And so we can now be transparent about that and share that. And so while you're half skiing halfway down the mountain, you can look it up and say, oh, I'm not going to go to that chair. I'm going to pivot and go to this other one. It's total utility. What the line weight is. That's great. I mean, it's it's giving the, the, the guests the control over the experience, too, Absolutely. which is so key. Well, it's, yeah. the, it's the data. I mean, obviously, you've been talking so far about um, how you're using the data to sort of optimize or what you provide and how you provide it, but but also sharing that data in uh, meaningful and exactly and easy to use sort of a way that enhances the experience. It's sort of this win-win-win yeah. um, situation. Yeah. How, how, um, how closely do you watch the Weather Channel? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's wonderful. My father was a, an apple orchardist. And, you know, I, I grew up knowing just how important the weather was and yes. uh, the elements in Mother Nature. So the one thing you can't control. The one th- yeah. Oh, so no. how do you well, when she said she doesn't produce anything, I thought, mm, I bet she makes snow at some of those <laughs> oh, places. Would love to understand in those, you know, in those businesses where, where weather does matter in so many. How do you how do you think about that? How do you manage it? Yes. Well, we love snow. We love when it snows. (laughs) And snow definitely has an impact on sort of last minute decision making about coming up to our resorts. Uh, For our destination guests, you know, it's more about the total experience. They're on vacation and every aspect of it really matters. And they're generally planning their trips out way in advance. Uh, But we do make sure that we invest in the latest and highest technology snowmaking that we possibly can so that we can ensure that our guests have an, have some expectation that they can ski terrain. And we invest in that technology to make sure there's that base level of terrain that can be open, even if we're not fortunate. I mean, one of the amazing things about our company is because we are in such diverse locations and the Epic Pass is access to all of them that actually, let's say by chance that Whistler Blackcomb did not have a great snow year for some reason, but Vail did or Park City did, oh. that our guests have the wow. choice, right. right? So they can look and see, oh, well, snow happens to not be great at this one resort, but I bought an Epic Pass and I can go to any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you though, like just going back to the concept of you being sort of a collective of all these all, all these different brands and experiences not unlike a hotel you know hotel company different or properties, something yeah. yeah how do you sort of make sure though that not all the properties become commodities and that like each one maintains its own distinctive brand personality brand experience brand you know you know 
so that so that there is differentiation as well. Absolutely. And th- and that is so critical. It's probably the single most important thing that we need to do is make sure that every resort is completely unique and differentiated. And one of the insights that we have about our guests is they love to try new experiences. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about if that's a key insight, then uh, having all those resorts commoditized or become similar under one banner right. Uh, would not be beneficial to us. It's not the same as, you know, a Starbucks where Mm -hmm. they want to know what the experience is. And it's the same at each Starbucks. It's that Vail is dramatically different from Keystone, which is dramatically different from a Whistler Black Home. And so we work really hard to keep them as unique and differentiated as possible. Mm-hmm. What about brand partnerships? Do they come into play? And if so, how, how, do, they, how do they play out? How do you make decisions around that? We have some uh, strategic alliance partnerships with companies like uh, PepsiCo or GoPro or a Red Bull. And we tend to focus on those partnerships as how can we enhance the guest experience at the resort? Mm-hmm. It's less about... Um, you, you know, branding all over the mountain with our partnerships, but more what are the unique things that our partners can do? PepsiCo has done concerts at our resort. Right, they're big in music. Yeah. Our guests, yeah, love that and, right, have an amazing experience with their products and the music, and also it benefits us because they're having a great time on their vacation, as an example. So, um Back to the weather, back to Mother Nature. Um, How about the other part of the year where you can't expect snow um, when they're in the summer, basically? How do you manage a a 365-day year when it's primarily uh, thought about as ski resorts? Yeah, we have a lot of visitation, believe it or not, in the summer Mm -hmm. at our ski resorts. Um, We've invested a lot into just a baseline infrastructure that already exists there. But um, we've also invested in unique experiences. There's mountain biking trails. There's hiking trails. Some of our resorts have zip lining and and, Mm -hmm. um, gravity-fed coasters. that Water slides. (laughs) Yeah. So we still get a lot of guests and a lot of visitation. And actually, a lot of those guests are quite different than the ones who come in the winter for mm. skiing. That's, that's awesome. Interesting. One yeah. last quick question. Uh, you know, we, we talk, um, um, one topic that we talk about is focus on diversity and inclusion these days. Um, we see a lot of women in, in high-level uh, marketing roles, leadership positions. How do you regard sort of your, your, your place as a woman within the C-suite, within, you know, this, this company in marketing? How is that benefiting you uniquely? And you have like a couple minutes, like maybe a minute to answer. So I apologize. But I, I think the, um, the diversity question is a great one. I think that we at Vail Resorts are um, very focused on it, especially um, gender diversity. Our industry tends to be, like many industries, very male-dominated. Our executive team is 10 people. We have three women on the executive team. We have uh, four women on our board of directors. Sorry, three women on our board of directors. And you, in, in fact, are on what, the Stitch Fix board? Is and that I correct? am on the Stitch Fix board yeah. of directors, which is predominantly women as well, yeah. uh, thanks to Katrina Lake and her leadership. And so, I think, you know, I think about my role as a role model and how do I develop the next generation of strong, confident women leaders in our company that can take on, in our company and even outside of our company, that can take on leadership roles like I've had the opportunity to do here and at PepsiCo and at Kraft. That's excellent. 
And uh, any quick advice for those um, women that you're hoping to be a role model for in particular? Yes. The quick advice would be be brave and courageous. Don't worry about being wrong. Instead, focus on getting your voice in the room, whether it's right or wrong, because it will ultimately make the business and the team better. And then the second piece of advice is your number one job as a leader is to unlock the potential in others. Mm. And Love it's it. also the most fun, right? Yes. <laughs> I remember. Skiing. <laughs> there you go. That's true. Maybe after that. but Or put them together and then you're having unlocking fun uh, and potential um, both exactly. ways, right? Doing and enjoying both. Well, um, Kirsten Lynch, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure and thank very you. excited. We'll be keeping um, tabs on how things go with the acquisition for the additional 17 and hopefully get you back after a few months to talk about what that experience was like. If it if it goes through. Thank you so much for having me. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.